0: Let's stand for prayer in the reading of God's Word, and then I'll read verses uh, 9 and 10 from chapter 1. Let's pray together. Now, blessed Lord, we come now to your most precious Word, and we ask for light, for understanding. Lord, we pray that as we come and as you grant us this grace of enlightenment and understanding, you would fill our hearts with a with a strength to follow through on what we learn, to keep the ways of the Lord, and to to be wise, Lord, biblically and scripturally, and Lord, from your spirit, not not of this world, but a wisdom that comes from above. Lord, we pray for wisdom. Make us a wise people. Lord, as we confess your name, as we come to the Word of God, help us even this morning as we look at the the wisdom for the poor man, help us to embrace what we read and understand. And Lord, that you would bring yourself glory and you would build us up and make us a mature people. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, James chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, listen now to the word of God. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, I read both of the the verses 9 through 11 in order to help us see that James is now addressing two different people in context of wisdom. And we have to ask the question when we come to this, these verses, these three verses, what is James trying to do? Why is James bringing out this this these two people, the rich and the poor. Well, because James understands the, the situation and the circumstance that provoked him to even write the letter to begin with, which is the, the providential circumstance that they were being persecuted and they were being scattered out, they were having to leave their homes or jobs and, and beginning new, you know, beginning all over again. Losing what they had, you can imagine the temptations that they would be faced with as they lost everything and when they were accustomed to having so much or at least something and now they were faced with nothing, having nothing. James wants to address the rich and the poor because of the temptations that both face. There's a great amount of temptation that the poor man faces and we need to understand that. And he's called upon by James to be wise in his circumstance. There's a great amount of temptation that the rich are faced with. And James wants the rich to be wise. He wants them to be wise in their circumstances because of all the things that they face. And there certainly is a contrast here in what James is doing for us. But this morning, I'm simply going to focus upon... The poor man, the poor man, and hopefully can bring to light some things out of the text itself that will help us have a better understanding of this situation if we find ourselves in it, or we may find ourselves in it in the future, or as we interact And have relationships with those who are in it. Now, first of all, let me say this. We ought to understand we should come to a place that is natural naturally speaking, we should all grasp and understand that those who have the least have several struggles. We ought to understand that. Poverty can be a very serious, serious hindrance and condition to many advantages of life. You can health wise, education. In fact, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 30. We're going to look at the words of Agar or Ugger. And we're going to notice the two things he asks of God. And we're going to consider those as we introduce this text this morning. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7. He says, Two things I ask of you. Now he's talking to the Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I may, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I would be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, these are words of wisdom. And here, the proverbial writer prays and asks God, he says, listen, keep my, keep my lips from deception and lies. Keep me from being a deceiver and a liar. Keep me from poverty. Neither give me poverty. Now he's asking God, right? Do not put me in an impoverished situation. Because in an impoverished situation, what am I likely to do? What are some of the struggles that I would be faced with? Lying, manipulating, trying to improve my own status, or trying to put food on the table. You see, brothers and sisters, there's even a biblical law that addresses the man who steals to feed his own belly and his children versus the man who steals for pleasure and gain. You don't treat them both the same. You still punish both of them. Stealing is wrong. God says it's just to punish the one who steals to feed himself and his family. But you don't punish him with the rigorous justice you would punish the one for gain. There is a mercy with that punishment. Make sense? Well, that's what the proverbial writer recognizes in light of that. He says, look, don't don't let me fall into a providential situation where I am tempted to steal and bring, you know, as a believer, right, bring my Lord's name into contempt. But don't give me so much. Now, this is the temptation for the rich. Don't give me so much that I would think all of this was above my own creation. Don't give me so much that I think I am above everybody else. Don't give me so much that I adopt an elitist attitude. Don't give me so much that I would forget you. See, that? I mean, it's two things that are very bad here. Number one, to defame the name of the Lord. That is, for a Christian to act in such a way that if they were exposed and found out, they would say, oh, and you're a Christian. I see. Or, or to completely forget God. Atheism. So those are two problems and so Agar in wisdom, says, "I don't want neither poverty nor do I want riches, Lord, only give me my portion, only give me those things that my hands are put to that I might earn for myself, and, and again, that I might bless your name with okay so this is the, the this is the background, and the Bible has a lot to say about economics and about personal finances and about poverty and riches. And we're not even going to begin to scratch the surface of all of that over in the next two weeks. But I do want to bring some things to our attention and mind as we address these words in James. First of all, let me state the problem that James is addressing here. James is certainly acknowledging and recognizing that the church... Has an issue. That is, as 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 the Hebrews have been dispersed throughout the nations, throughout the lands of, of Rome, there's a problem that's arisen among the church, and that's a partiality. Being partial. Now, this is this partiality is not based upon the color of skin. It's not based upon anything other than economic status, the haves and the have nots. The problem that James faces and he wants to address is that if you are those who have been displaced and dispersed, here's how you need to think as a Christian. These are some of the pitfalls that you need to avoid. Envy. Bitterness. Life's not fair for me. We need to avoid those types of attitudes. Being in poverty or in a low condition does not give us a right to... To harbor the sins of bitterness and envy. It doesn't give us a right to malign the Lord's providence by going around and talking about how life's not fair for me. Those are sins. And we as Christians who are going, who are, who have been saved by grace, brought out of the kingdom of darkness, been set upon this glorious pedestal of God's family to receive his favor and privileges in this life and the next. And God distributes wealth. God also tells us in His Word that that the the unrighteous rich have holes in their pockets. They can't keep their money. They can't keep their money because of the decisions they constantly make are foolish and stupid. The situation here, brothers and sisters, is this idea of partiality. James chapter two, James says these words. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And then he goes on to address how the poor are treated and how the rich are treated. But notice what he says. He notice what he says down here in verse seven because he talks about those who who dishonored the poor man and you know by bringing him into court and continuing to add to his burden. He says, "Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called?" He said, "Look, all of this activity, the way that this partiality is revealed, you're blaspheming the name of God." Now it doesn't matter who's showing the partiality. Whoever it is, they're blaspheming the name of God. So the problem that's being addressed, and listen, this is an age-old problem. This is not just a problem that our own country has an issue with, right? We have an issue with partiality. Showing favoritism. I mean, we are divided. I mean, the cultures around us are dividing us gender-wise. They're dividing us. Uh, uh, color of our skin dividing our finances i mean we are divided i mean are you straight are you gay are you male are you female are you black white hispanic chinese korea all of these are you asian all of these lines are being divided and we're being forced into these categories and yet every bit of that is ungodly ungodly and it's not biblical In fact, what we see in Scripture, there are only two families in the earth itself, and that is the family of God and the family of Satan. You either belong one or the other. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. He has to address this partiality because, number one, it was God's providence that created the situation. They were being dispersed by the hand and power of God. And others were taking advantage of them. Well, you've lost everything you had, you'll probably work for nothing. And that's what he says over in chapter 2. He says, You take advantage of the rich. And that's what he says over here in chapter 5. You're taking advantage of their poor condition. Shame on you. Now, that's all, that's to address the rich and just dealing with the poor. This was providential poverty here. Paul even had to address this, the economic status among the Gentiles. This isn't just something that was a Jewish problem. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at um, chapter 11, verse 17. Says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and the other, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which you can eat or drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Paul is addressing the issue of taking the Lord's Supper, which in the first century was more of a meal than it than it was here, that what we do after when we close out our worship service. And what he's saying is they are divided up among themselves. You've got the rich over here, then you have the poor. And you know, the, it's kind of I want you to think about the, the, the potluck deal here. What can the poor bring to the supper? He says, Well, they leave hungry because. The rich can cough it up. Not only do they scoff it all up, but they drink the wine to the point of drunkenness. Now, Paul, what Paul is doing is, he says, shame on you. You're, you bringing, you're bringing a blight upon the church of Jesus Christ. You are blaspheming God's name here by your actions. These divisions should not even be created in your midst. You see, there's a problem. It's not just a problem among the Hebrews. It's not just the Hebrews that were taking advantage. It's not just the, the, um, uh, the, the Hebrews that, did, that were not displaced taking advantage of those displaced Hebrews. But it's the Gentiles taking advantage of the Gentiles. Now, let's be quite honest White people take advantage of white people. Black people take advantage of black people. Chinese Asians take advantage of Asians. Hispanics take advantage of Hispanics. Why? Because sin is not sin is inherent in all people. Envy, the desire for more and more and more at the expense of the other. Guess what? Exists in everyone. In everyone. There's not one group of people or one race of people more pure or better or righteous than the other because of who they are. It's not. That's why we need God's grace. That's why every person must turn to Jesus Christ no matter what their status. Rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Doesn't matter. Gender. Doesn't matter. Turning to Christ so that they may be saved. So that they may be, so they may receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, these this poverty, this low condition was not based and due to their decision making. It was based upon the hand of God dispersing them. It's kind of like a man and a woman doing everything they can, working hard, working the jobs that they've been given and able to get, and yet. You know, the economy goes down and under, and he's laid off, she's laid off, and they don't have a room to pay the bills and they have to go bankrupt. That's providential poverty. That's not based upon consumer debt. That's not based upon bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Look, I'm not saying we don't make bad decisions. What I'm saying is these are outside of our circumstances and control. How do we address and deal with them We we were going to have the temptation of getting angry with God, getting angry and bitter and envious. Remember, the psalmist was like that in Psalm 78. We can look at others and go, wow, why is my life so hard? Why is everything so difficult for me and everything so easy for them? Unrighteous people exploit those temptations. They exploit those desires. Why is it so easy for the politicians of America to divide this nation? Because we are full of sin. We are full of envy. We are full of bitterness. We are full of this attitude of unfairness. I want what's mine. I want it now. I want what you have. And they exploit it. It's exploitable. It's, these are exploitable attitudes. and should not be that way. We as Christians should... Fortify our minds with the truth that this poverty that James is addressing here is a providential poverty. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake, for great is your reward. You may have everything you have taken away from you in this life, but there is another life after this one. That's important to remember. This is not all there is. There is much more. There is something greater than this. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, this is pretty good. Enjoy living this life under the hand of our God. is, is You know what? It's pretty good. There's something better. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus addresses those who receive the word for a moment, for a time, but then give it up because of persecutions. And he says, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. That is, when persecution arises, there's a tendency to forsake God, who is the controller over everything and the blesser of men, and to put their trust in Riches. The deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can deceive you into believing that that is going to protect you and to keep you safe. And yet it comes and goes so quickly and easily. Let me say this about the problem of partiality. It does exist in the church. It does exist in the church. We have to fight Probably that the, the, what you might call the whole being comfortable thing, right? I'm not comfortable. So we segregate ourselves with the people we're comfortable with. But we have to break through that by God's grace and recognize that we are all part of the family of God and that we are all here to be built up by the gospel and edified by the word of God and that we are to encourage one another in this walk of faith this race of faith but you when you find and that, that, the one of the things that I want to at least state and then move on to my second point is this 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 separation and partiality is seen in, in many Presbyterian uh, among many Presbyterian sessions and leadership now how so well, If you take a small survey, you'll see that most Presbyterian sessions are made up of doctors, lawyers, and professional men. Not the poor. Not the mechanics. Not the carpenters. Not the man that goes to AutoZone and works hard five, six days a week, does well with his money and just pays the bills and comes home and Loves his family and shows up at worship and full of wisdom. You see, there is even in the church this, this partiality that is exposed in the choosing of leadership. We choose man, men based upon their social condition and status, not upon the qualifications of Scripture and their wisdom. And that's a sin. You may have all the professional men you want in leadership positions, but that doesn't mean they have the wisdom or even the fortitude or the, steadf- the desire to lead the church through difficult situations or un- situations that require clarity and skill in handling the Word of God. So we need to understand that. Now... Does that mean we start a campaign and kick everybody out of leadership that's professional? Absolutely not. That would be sinful. But what we need to do in going forward is being reminded that we need to look to Scripture. Are the men qualified? No matter what their social status is, can they handle the Word of God? What do their families look like? Do they have their families in subjection? That is, once you bring Scripture to bear on these things, then those men that are qualified and called by God, those men that can exhibit wisdom, well, then these are the ones that ought to lead the congregation. Not the ones that simply have a position in a business or have some professional status in society. That doesn't make them qualified to lead God's people. Remember, brothers, what were the disciples? Fishermen. And remember when the disciples were brought before the Sanhedrin, they were like, well, wait a minute. Who are these ignorant men? These men are not theologically trained in our schools. That's right. That's why they were who they were. They hadn't been indoctrinated by your deceptions and compromises. They had walked with Jesus and he had filled them with power and truth and grace. And they were now exercising their authority under the blessing of God. And that's what we want, right? We want the blessing in hand of God. Amen. Amen. So I want to bring that out because I do think that's a problem. And how can churches become strong and be led in wisdom if the men that are there can't do that? And not qualified to do it. So we see that there is a problem, and James is addressing the issue, and that is there is a providential circumstance that has put a lot of Hebrews in a low condition, and there were some showing partiality and taking advantage of them. That's a problem. So that's the problem. Secondly, what's the attitude we need to have about the situation or about the one who is in a low condition? We need to have the proper attitude. First of all, we need to have a proper attitude about social standings. There are social standings. There are proper social standings. I mean, even the book of Proverbs says, Do not desire the delicacies of the king. Why? Because you ain't the king. You don't have the money and the prestige and the honor and the glory of the king. Therefore, you can't afford his clothes and food and don't even try. Okay? So there there is a place for... Uh, degrees of status and, and standing. We're not saying that there's not. We're not egalitarianist. Meaning everything's equal, nothing's different. There's differences in our homes. There's the father, there's the mother, there's the husband and the wife, there are the siblings, there's the older siblings and the younger siblings. These are all different situations and social standings even among a household. We don't give the the younger children the same responsibility you have given the mature and older children that have proven themselves. Right? Same way in the church. There There is leadership. There's authority. And that's something that should be understood. But what is our attitude toward these things? Well, first of all, notice... The attitude needs to reflect the reality. If you look back at James, notice what James says in the verse. He says, but the brother of humble circumstances. Now, our attitude is that we are all one family. Notice what James says. The brother. This man of, or this person of low condition is a brother. What's a brother? A family member. He's not just some poor... Notice it's not just a poor Christian. Notice that the intimate terminology James uses in addressing this brother in a low condition or the one that's in a low condition. He says, oh, he's a brother. This, This term is a term of intimacy and closeness. It's a term of affection. Brother. When we see each other, hey, brother... What are we acknowledging about each other? We're acknowledging that we have connection and relationship. Sal so de Madre, hey brother, how are you? We have familiarity. We have, we have a connection. We are part of a same family. No one we'll need to forget that. You can't forget that. James brings this out and he says, listen, we're talking about your brother. We're talking about the one that you are connected with and have, have a connection to Christ with. You are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to be reminded of is that how temporal social standings can be. How temporal social standings can be. Here's a question that I have for you as we consider these things. First of all, how many of us had any say in the family we were born into? How many of us had any say about the economic status of the family that we were born into? How many of us had anything to say about the jobs that our parents were going to have when we were born into that family? See, what's the answer to all those? Nothing. By God's providence you were born into the family you were born into. By God's providence you were born the gender that you were born with. By God's providence you were born in a family with a certain economic status and social standing that you were born in. You had no say so, you had no you, had, you you didn't add to it in any way. You didn't promote it. You didn't do anything for it. You were just born into that family. You had nothing to say about the color of your skin. You had nothing to say about the nationality you have, what country you were born into. Nothing. God chose all of it. And that's why social standings, beloved. what What did Hannah pray? Who raises up the poor? God does. Who tears down the proud? God does. Who causes there to be wilt, uh, wealth and um, poverty? God does. And sometimes, now I want you to think about it in this situation here, because I don't want you to think about, you know, oh, I don't have any money, I'm poor. That's not it. This is not what James is talking about. He's talking about those who have come under the providence of God who have lost what they have. It's like going into World War. Have you ever watched any of the movies about World War II? And have you seen the devastation of France and some of these places that these cities have been blown to smithereens? You lose everything. You have to start over. What are these refugees we see? They're walking with what? Uh, a sack, a, a, a bag, and they've got some clothes or some whatever, that, whatever they could grab and whatever they could take with them. And they're walking, and guess what? They leave their homeland. They leave their, their businesses. They leave their homes. They're gone. And they're starting over. That's poverty. That's low condition. The flood. The flood comes to the house. There's a storm. It's providential. It takes and blows your house away, Right? You're gone. All that you have, you're gone. You have no insurance. You have no way of repairing it. You know, you put everything you have into that home. It's gone. Now what? These things, brothers and sisters, just as the high and mighty can be brought low in a day, so can the poor be raised up in a day. I mean, th- these are the things that God handles. These are the things that He does social status social standings are temporary and let me and now that's important to note not only as we look at the position that people find themselves in i'll give you a couple of examples you know in the new testament we have sort of we have the narrative the historical narrative of of the birth of christ and what was what was the the What was Jesus' mother's name? Mary. What What house was she affiliated with historically and providentially? The house of David. Who was David? He was a king of Israel. Probably the best king of Israel. Or his son Solomon. But now look at her. What do we see Mary now? We see Mary with a man named Joseph Who are so poor, they can't even afford to stay in the inn. All they can do is stay in a cruddy, stinky manger while she gives birth. Think about that. Social standings are fragile. What about Job? The Bible opens the book of Job, and it speaks of all of his wealth. It speaks of the 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 the, the sort of the grandness of his life, and yet, what do we see God doing providentially, taking it all away from him? It's interesting that Jane that Job is not only his wealth is taken away, but his health is also affected, because Satan believed that if he affected Job's health, he could get him to curse God. Job never did that. But Job finds himself scraping the scabs of his skin with with pottery and sitting in ashes. Now, what's important about that picture is this. There are places in cultures and society where you find the lowest of the low. Right? There are places where they live. Job, when he's seen by his friends, is seen sitting in ashes and scraping himself. And and, that, and there's a picture there of Job being relegated to the dung heap of the city. That's the trash pile. He's out in the dump, if you will. What is he doing out in that dump? He, he's surviving. He's trying to keep his mind and his heart right under the hand and providence of God. And he's suffering physically. And then his friends come out and they address him and want to deal with him because he was a man of great stature and status. And now he's a man of very low condition. He's at the dump, scraping his sores with a piece of pottery and sitting in ashes. And his friends, if you go back and read Job, they walk up on Job. They weren't accustomed to seeing Job in this condition. And what do they do? They burst out in tears. They burst out in tears. They said, this is a man that was so high and blessed of God, and now he's sitting at the dump, scraping the scabs off of his skin and sitting in ashes. And they pour ashes on their own head as a sign of remorse and and hurt and and just great concern for their friend Job. Well, we see this, brothers and sisters. And I'm here to tell you. I don't know what condition you are in financially. I don't know all the 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 you know what your desires are, what you want to see in your life. You want to be a person of great status. Well, let me ask you. Let me tell you this. If you seek a certain status, I want you to know it's fragile. You may or may not get it. And you may expend your life and soul trying to get it and lose it all. Because I'm going to talk about that in a second. What, what's the proper attitude? First of all, as a member of the family of God, remember we are brothers and sisters, we are part of the family of God in Christ. We ought to recognize, brothers and sisters, that what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. Not those of high position and social standing, unless they are meek and just and righteous in God's sight. Ephesians chapter 1 the longest sentence in the whole Bible speaks of this internal and glorious inheritance we have in Christ Jesus because God has called us to eternal glory. He has called us to be His children. And that's one thing that James points out and highlights is this, this, this that God has chosen the lowly things of this world to exalt His name. It's no, listen, brothers and sisters, it is not an accident that there's a lot of poor people who are Christians. It's not accidental. Number one, God is merciful and compassionate to the poor and lowly. But number two, the poor are always confronted with their dependence, their need. And having someone to watch over them as a father and provide for them and to care for them and to bless the work of their hands and to make the little go a long way. And so there's a great dependence upon the Lord and glory. I have nothing to offer. Woe is me, Lord. You are kind and You are gracious. That's why the Lord Jesus said it is, well, and you know, right? It is that it is more pro, that for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's impossible, but not apart from God's grace because God does save rich people too. He's not partial This is not a sermon that that magnifies the lowly and puts down the rich. That's not my intent at all. It's to help us see that each one has its own place and we ought to look and to think about each one biblically and with wisdom. One should not put all of their... Status in their poor condition. I'm poor. Listen to me. I'm poor. Give me a greater voice than the elite. I'm the one suffering. Listen to me. The Bible tells us in Leviticus 19 do not show partiality to the poor in courts. Why? Because it's emotional. Justice is not, doesn't rest upon emotion, but truth. The poor may come into your presence and present a very emotional case, but the Lord commands His court to be just and right and do not show partiality and favoritism to the poor over the rich, but be just and equal to both. Both are sinful in God's sight. Jesus uses the poor in many cases. In Mark 12, verse 43, Jesus uses the widow who brings her one mite into the worship of God to put down the haughty and arrogant rich. The rich would come in and they would flaunt their wealth and their riches and and give large amounts, but the widow comes and gives her one mite. That's the smallest fraction of money any could offer in that time. And Jesus says, look at her. Look at her. She gave more than all who gave out of their wealth. You see, it's kind of like when you read, you know, of the billionaires giving a million dollars to some charity. That's like the change in my pocket. And, you know, wow. But He says she didn't give out of her wealth. What did she give? She gave out of her poverty. She gave all she had. And Jesus said she is justified. She's the one who is given in a way that pleases God. And she was poor. So see, brothers and sisters, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter. The rich and the poor in God's sight are both the same. Each ought to be glorifying God and, and, and living their lives based upon their relationship with Him and to Him in His Word and that they have a right to come with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and offer up praise and worship to Him. The third thing I, wanna, I want us to observe in the text is not only to have a proper attitude about a social standing and to see this brother of low condition as a family member in the house of God, but we ought to have some wisdom that we ought to bring to this. And the poor need wisdom. The rich need wisdom. But the poor need wisdom. They need wisdom in order to handle their affairs. They need wisdom in order to handle their poverty and their low condition. They're going to have to fight against envy. They're going to have to fight against the temptation of bitterness, fearfulness. They're going to have to fight against politicians trying to exploit that in them. And trying to even create those desires. Maybe they're not bitter. Maybe they're not fearful about the things they don't have. Maybe they're okay with everything. But yet the politicians create the environment of envy and bitterness by saying, Don't you want what they have? And you can have it. They have to fight against it. They need wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Why does the poor need wisdom? Because they don't want to be manipulated. You don't don't want the poor to be manipulated. You don't want the, the poor to be exploited. And they can be and will be without wisdom. They need wisdom. They need wisdom. They need to be able to look beyond their circumstances like Job Look at Job again. Let's look at the book of Job, Job chapter 29. Look at verses 11 and 13. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I, I made the widow's heart sing for joy. Look at 15 and 16. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I investigated the case which I did not know. You you see what Job's Job is now looking at his past. I mean, he's looking at the things he'd done. Why Job was righteous in the sight of God? What did Job do? He tended to all who were in a low condition. He was compassionate. Wisdom. Wisdom. Job was able to look beyond the circumstances of the lowly and said, He did not say, I don't want anything to do with you because you are not like me. There's nothing you have to offer me. There's nothing you can give me. There's no way you can pay back my generosity and compassion. But Job looked beyond that. He looked to the family of God. He looked at God's character and nature. He said, God, who has been compassionate and gracious to me, I will be gracious and compassionate to those who are in need like God was to me. Not based on some political agenda. It's based upon the nature and character of God. Our God is gracious and compassionate and uh, giving God to us. And what should we be to the others? Gracious and compassionate and merciful and giving. The, the one in low condition needs to see his poverty does not create for him as a special class of people. And I say that because of our day and time. I've already quoted Leviticus 19.15. showed no partiality to the poor in your courts. And yet, politicians, our politicians in this country seek to exploit the poor. And we need to understand this. We need to see through this. And the church needs to address this. Our low condition is not... The right for us to take away from somebody else. Remember, where did our low condition come from? The hand of God. And just as God brought us low, what can He do with us? Raise us up. Who are we gonna trust in? When you read Hannah's poem, when you hear Hannah's prayer, where's her trust? In God who is able to raise up the lowly, tear down the prideful, protect the innocent. And our trust must be in that same God, the God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that when we find ourselves in a low condition, we do not try to create some special class of treatment that others owe to us. That is not the case at all. It's not biblical. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Don't sell your soul for riches. I'm not here to exalt poverty. That's not what this sermon's about. It's just to bring to reality the fact that some people under the hand of God don't have what others do. But what are we to do in this situation? how are we to respond how are we to see them if we find ourselves in this situation or we know those are in that situation how do we respond what if you begin to lose your job because of your faith in Christ now, i'm going to close with this let's 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 bring a scenario in mind laws are passed there's a great fervor against evangelical christians To to rid them of the workplace. To get rid of their social standing. Take away what they have. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Will you lose your job over your faith and belief in Christ? Or will you seek riches, status, promotion, social standing? What means more to you... Well, brothers and sisters, turn with me to Proverbs 28. And this is where we're going we're to end. With Proverbs 28 sort of walking through that proverb because it has a lot to say about poverty and riches. Proverbs 28. I want you to notice all of the references, if you will. Notice the wicked flee when no one's pursuing but the righteous are as bold as a lion but the transgression of the land are many of a land many are its princes but a man of understanding and knowledge so it endures the poor man who oppresses the lowly or the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food those who forsake the law praise the wicked those who keep the law strive with them evil men do not understand justice But those who seek the Lord understand all things. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked though he is rich. You see that? If you have to deny the Lord to have riches, will you deny the Lord? See, the Bible tells us that it's better to have nothing and be poor and have integrity character to have faith than to be a crooked rich man but that's not all it says look at verse 8 he who increases in his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor look at that so you think you're creating and you're collecting all of this wealth and in the end it's going to be given to those who are gracious Why? Why can this comment and statement be made? Who gives wealth? Who gives poverty? Who gives wealth? God does. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. Do you find comfort? Do you take comfort in God being sovereign and in control? If you don't take comfort in God being sovereign and in control, then you may have a problem that God's not doing what you want. But if you're okay with God's sovereignty, guess what you have to learn to do? Submit. Submit. Learn to love God who knows. Who ha- God is infinite in wisdom. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows how all the parts connect together. And when we come to these situations, we need to look beyond the circumstance. We need to know who's in charge. We need to know that, guess what? My lowly condition today could be changed tomorrow. Of the Lord blessing the work of my hands, the Lord giving me favor and status with the men around me. That's what Paul says. Paul says, Lord, you know, give us standing and favor with men. But I don't want favor with men if it means denying my faith. I don't want favor with men and, the, and riches if it means being like them. I don't want that. If, if God wants me to have it, He'll bless the work of my hands, diligence. Hard work, good decision making, trusting the Lord. I'm not going to let people manipulate me with envy and bitterness and fear. Because those are the emotions that are easy to be manipulated. We're going to stand upon the wisdom of God's word. The Bible says this, and I wish it was true of our nation. A king who faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Not manipulating the poor. Not using the poor for political advantage. Not using the poor to get votes. But to be just. And to be compassionate rightly. Their throne will be established forever. Let's pray.